tell Gail if she calls that I'm famous now for all of these rock and roll songs. Welcome to the third episode of Beyond Green Podcast. Uh, that was Gaslight Anthem with Here's Looking at You, Kid, at least the very beginning of it. Uh, you'll hear the whole song at the end of the show, so you listen to the whole thing to hear the rest of the song. But thanks for joining us. I'm here with Darren Kaster of The Green Majority. Morning! Afternoon! And evening! Whatever time it may be. Good night. 3 a.m., most likely, if you're podcasting. <laughs> That's true, yeah. You're either listening to this at 3 a.m. or on your drive to or from work. So, how you doing, all you people? Um, my name's Seven Host, editor of the Green Society Campaign. Uh, we're here, again, to talk about the environment. We'll get into the actual topic of the show in a second, but we're on to comments first, because we do comments first, because we love you guys so much. Comments really are the reason I'm alive. That's reason for my existence. Oh yeah, if we did, yeah, we only well, we got one comment today, and if we got none, I think I I don't know if I'd be doing this that yeah. podcast. I'd be I'd be I'd be wallowing. I'd be yes. wallowing. So thank you, AVR, for your comment. Uh, you saved our lives. So why don't you why don't you outline the comment, and then we have some comments about the comment. Yes, good idea. Well, I'll, I'm just gonna read it word for word. I think actually that's that's I think that's the best way of doing this one. Uh, the other ones I I, I paraphrase, but this time I'm just gonna go for it. Alright, so, AVR says, You're not an environmentalist if you eat meat. End of story. Dairy is detrimental too, but slightly less so. Claiming indignantly that you only get your meat from small farms and ethical sources, both small farms and ethical are in scare quotes, is just precious and full of artifice. If, you des- if your desire to consume the flavor of meat overpowers your desire to see the conservation of fresh water and fertile soil, you're not an environmentalist. Strong, strong statement. Dramatically stronger than either of us put forward last week. Darren's thoughts. Uh, well, uh, I think there's a few things here. One, uh, I want to thank uh, our, whatever the person AVR, was. I don't AVR, I do AVR, thank you for your comment. I think what we, I mean, what we were getting into that they were referring to, in case you didn't listen to the last podcast, was that we, we did discuss in the last episode, uh, which I would just recommend going to listen to, because it was us, so it was awesome. Yeah, if you're listening to this one, you should listen to the last one. Definitely. Um, uh, we're simply referring to is we're getting into sort of um, how to divide environment, uh, how to define rather uh, environmentalist, and and so this person is responding to that. Um, I would simply comment that uh, I think that's a it's a it's a workable definition of the environment. Although I I feel like what they're defining is vegan. <laughs> um, you can't be a vegan if you eat meat. Uh, I, I I understand the argument that I think they're going for, which is that meat does have an incredibly, and it's absolutely, absolutely undeniably true, meat does have an incredibly large footprint uh, dealing with climate change, uh, also land use. Uh, there are tons and tons and tons and tons of negative impacts. Uh, I think there are a few things that I would sort of uh, waver on them. Uh, I mean, aside from the sarcastic tone, which it's the internet, so you're you're allowed to have all the sarcastic <laughs> tone you want. So I think the internet lives I, off sarcastic tone. Absolutely. So uh, I, we're not, I'm not going to sort of comment on that. Uh, I wouldn't have phrased it that way, but the, the, you're perfectly. I mean, you can you can leave a message that says "fuck you, assholes," and really, there's that. You we know, promise go we for read, it. We promise read that out. Shall absolutely. So we'll just we'll skip over the the slightly unnecessarily sarcastic tone. But um, I think to, just to the the meat of the issue. Oh. Oh. As we said, we did we were asking for people of definitions of environmentalist. I I think that this is one of those things where this person is is hyper focused on on an issue. It's not the only issue. Um and I think that that's there's nothing wrong with that. Uh but I would simply caution them as I mean not to speak directly to them, but simply just to speak to everyone regarding this idea mm. is that 
I mean, basically, you've thrown a lot of people overboard. Well, we're not environmentalists and, anymore. And what? Well, I mean, we're not environmentalists, and so sorry, I mean, guys. If you're hoping to read an environmental podcast, you've lost it. We're going to go yeah. into sports after this. Actually, yeah, I have a lot I, of thoughts on the Colts and Broncos, which is so. going to be terrible because <laughs> I hate sports and I don't know how many hoops go in the basket or whatever. I don't know, um, but. Uh, sorry, uh, just to, to refocus on what it's saying. I, I think that the issue here is that um, this is a valid point of view because it's every point of view is valid, yeah. but I, I don't agree. And the reason I don't agree is because uh, there is, this is a nuanced issue and this person hasn't sort of caught to the nuance. They're saying, I don't care about your nuance. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but how I'm reading it is, I don't care about your nuance. This is a black and white issue. Um, and it's simply factually untrue, for starters. But in a, in a more sort of spirit of what you're saying, um, I mean, what you've essentially done was everyone who doesn't agree with me is now no longer on my team until you agree with me. Um, and I just, I sort of wonder how we're actually going to get anything done as a movement if we can't stop infighting amongst each other. And that was largely what I was saying. So strategically, I would like to disagree in the sense that I don't think this is a constructive direction to go. Mm. Um in a more factual sense, I would also like to say personally that by sort of you, by sort of downplaying the importance of things about where food come from, I think someone who clearly cares very passionately about food uh, needs to inform themselves a little bit more about the issue of food aside from the meat thing, mm. uh, because what we were trying to identify is an incredibly valid component. The type of meat you're getting and the distance it traveled compared to the type of vegetable you're buying and the distance it traveled, there is full cost accounting that goes in there. And it is a fact that some cases of vegetables are going to be more harmful to the environment than some cases of meat. And so this person is, unfortunately, I think, dangerously misinformed on this issue. Not that meat is not a critically important issue. It absolutely is. But to say that it's black and white is simply factually incorrect. Uh, so, so I would just like to correct that, and, and if we'd like to, we can get into specifics. If this person doesn't agree or wants me to sort of cite sources for that, um, we can use my radio show to do that. I'd be happy right. to do a show on those issues. On the other aspect of it, though, um, I mean, the, the bottom line is that the other thing is that I'm very happy for this person that they uh, have a, a good enough job that they can afford to, to feed themselves with organic uh, vegan food all the time. Uh, I have never actually been above the poverty line. I don't always get three meals a day. Uh, and I'm not joking. Um, so if this person would like to buy my groceries, I will make an absolute commitment that if they would like to send us a check, uh, I will immediately go vegan as soon as and, and forever. Right. And I'm being completely serious. If they will pay for my food for the rest of time, I will eat 100% vegan as of this moment. But it is simply financially impossible for me to do so. And so to sort of push people aside who, who don't agree with you on one issue and not have any nuance for why there may be not able to comply, much less sort of not want to comply, and to sort of say that you don't agree with me and therefore I'm going to shame you, I, I just don't see as the right angle to go to to solve any problem. It just seems like a bad way to solve any problem. Cool. Yeah, I, I think that's, you brought up a lot of points there. I'm, I'm very glad that we're, that they're actually they're giving us an answer. I think that's excellent. Oh, no, um, absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, and first I, and I, foremost, <laughs> we love the comment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, and I think you're right about the not wanting to sort of split things up. And actually, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to get into, actually, your, your comment sort of segues well into the whole conversation. As a brief aside, if this is an issue that people want to talk about, if there, if if you guys just heard that bit that Darren said and either reacted like, a, oh really, I'd like to know more about that, or reacted a, hell no, you're wrong, 
we will spend. We'll, I'll, we'll do the research. We'll if you if this is something that that you guys really want to talk about, let us know in the comments section, and we'll get into it. We'll we'll find the data. We'll go case by case basis, mm -hmm. and we'll really figure out exactly where the where the line should really be drawn. Say, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, do these quote unquote small farms are they environmental positive, or should we just simply cull the cows? And as an aside, aside, my my immediate reaction when I when when I sort of just be, due to the sort of sarcastic phrasing of the comment, my immediate reaction is to want to go and buy a hamburger out of spite, <laughs> just because I don't like how I was talked to, and that's right. an emotional reaction. Right. But like that's how I reacted. So and and I'm someone who's very sympathetic to what they're saying. Yeah. So I can only imagine how your average person must react. Mm. And I I just wish that that would be considered when people were putting these sorts of like you're evil and until you change your ways and agree with me sort mm. of types of arguments, even if the argument is valid, just phrasing it that way, yeah. is that you're, I feel like it's not only not effective, I feel it's counterproductive. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I, think it's, I think it's a great example of what I sort of described as last, last week, uh, is that sort of middle set of people, sort of 60s, 70s environmentalists, who are mm -hmm. starting an ethical approach to it almost. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, because it sort of, if the comment feels as if, we'll, we'll stop talking about the comment after I say this, because at this point they're beating it to death, but... It, almost, it feels as if it's coming from an ethical standpoint, mm -hmm. even though they don't actually ever mention the ethics in it. Maybe it's because of that black and white dichotomy that's being made. It sort of feels like an ethical, like it's wrong, even though they never actually say it's wrong. Anyways, so I think that's a good example of, of what I described as a second set of environmentalists who really do feel in that sort of way, not, not sort of more utilitarian sense. Just to wrap up on the yeah. issue, not even for the comment, right. but just for the issue yeah. for this week, is mm -hmm. that we do concede, both of us, that it is an absolute fact that meat is a incredibly huge contributor to climate yeah. change and a number of other problems and that we do not disagree on that no, at all no exactly yeah, that's a good point um and especially factory farms i i would i would i would almost allow uh allow the argument you're not environmentalist if you knowingly support factory farms um and especially beef production um if only because it's sort of well i guess in a similar way it's sort of like buying gas for your car mm -hmm. it's sort of like you know it's wrong and you probably shouldn't be doing it but at the same time all right. Well, I guess just to sorry to, to draw a parallel yeah. to last week's show mm -hmm. um, would be the idea is that I mean what we were talking about in in some sense at the beginning was you know could you call yourself an environmentalist mm -hmm. if you're sort of pro tar sands but right. you wanted to save the ducks or something yeah right um, and I and I think that someone who had heard that could could be listening right now and say mm -hmm. you guys are being hypocrites because you essentially were doing that before and now you're criticizing this person right. for doing so. Um, I, w I want to acknowledge the potential for that hypocrisy right. um, because it, it is an angle that you could take. Uh, I don't feel like we're doing it, but uh, obviously it's up to you. I just wanted to sort of acknowledge that I was aware of the fact that it could seem that way. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I don't think that we're doing that is because our solution to that problem was simply was that, uh, or at least what we'd spoken yeah. about on this program, was that everybody should be using the language of climate change so that we can have sort of a uniform front. Mm -hmm. But w at no point were Stefan or I saying that um, someone should be thrown overboard and cast aside and shamed for not agreeing with us 100% on all issues. Yeah. It was just that we need to have a general understanding of agreement that we're all moving in the same direction. And that if you're sort of going off in your own direction, you know, we can't help you. But we're not, we're, it was sort of like, it was more of an encouragement to join the crowd. Yeah. As opposed to shoving people overboard. Yeah. And I think that's where we're differing between what, what we were sort of talking about and, and sort of what we're critiquing. Here. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I would say that the dichotomy we made before was the difference between environmentalists and the environmental movement. And if, so the environmental, environmental movement had to be pushing sort of for this climate change thing, whereas environmentalists, we sort of... You can do whatever, whatever you want. Whatever you want, exactly, yeah. yeah. 
Um, I think we actually had an interesting uh, flashback on our TV program once, or your YouTube cha- uh, show, uh, where someone had a good point, which was, are you environmentalist if you manage to stop whale hunting but are a climate change denier? Mm-hmm. And then we sort of, both of us were sort of like, ah, maybe? <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it, was a tough, it was a tough question. But anyways, so lots to talk about on that issue. You can talk about food issues forever, but we'll, we'll move on for now. But more than happy to do longer conversation about this. I'm sure we'll get onto GMOs at some point. And well, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get a, a strong-minded vegan on the show at some point, and, and we'll talk about. In fact, if you are a strong-minded vegan and want to come and talk to us on this show, just leave a comment, and we'll contact you guys. And if you're in the Toronto area, we can do this. Uh, but you need to uh, arrange that ahead of time, and not just show up because I will be ordering some security guards. Oh, for my for my own safety. For your own safety. For my safety. All right. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's it. Right. I'm just kidding, guys. Come on. Okay, so, <laughs> now that we've sort of spent ten minutes talking about this one comment, which means if you give us six comments, you're getting no show, but still. Or, we'll, or uh, it just means that, the, if, well, it could say that we have up to ten minutes of commentary, and if we only get one comment... We'll talk for ten minutes. We'll talk for ten minutes nice. about it. So if this was driving you nuts that we <laughs> talked about this comment for ten minutes, yeah. then send more comments. We'll use the same amount of time, but for more ta- comments. There we go. How do you like that? Uh, that's perfect. That's All right. excellent news. Okay, so... Moving on to the actual point of the conversation today, which is the personification of the environmental movement, um, environmentalism, in sort of two different ways. The first way is very basically, sort of coming out of what you mentioned earlier about not being able to afford to not eat meat, is the idea of whether or not environmentalists have to become icons themselves. And for a long time, environmentalists didn't do this, I don't think. The way it comes out of the Beyond Green uh, conference, which we're going to keep referencing back to it for a little while at least, um, is if anyone was, if you were at the final panel there, uh, Cameron Fenton began his speech, or er, very early on in his speech, mentioned something about how he's $15,000 in debt and lives in a basement. I think he said, I think his terms were actually shitty basement apartment. Which, honestly, he had a very good whole talk, but I identified the most with just that statement, because, hey, I'm poor and I live in a basement apartment. High five! <laughs> Woo! It, and it was something that I hadn't seen from environmentalists most often. I think there's a trend in environmentalism to to avoid speaking about yourself and instead speak about the issues and not to sort of bring yourself into it because I think that's sort of seen as weakening the, the argument or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure why. I can, I can sort of see why, but there's not a really strong correlation in my mind. But then here's here was, here was someone coming up out and straight saying, this is what my life is like. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and it sort of drew me in more. And I think that's something that environmentalists should do more often. I really do. Humanize themselves. Humanize themselves. Yeah, very much so. I've been trying very hard to seem like a robot. Right. Well, I think, as to some extent, have I. I write a bunch. And so the recent blog post I wrote actually sort of tries to tear down that little that little piece. Because I really think it's important. I've come to the conclusion that it's important as a movement to personalize your message. You're, be human. you got to add humanity to your movement, I think. Mm. And I think that's sort of the environmental movement is missing. Like, when you think of famous environmentalists, who people on the street would know, I think it was David Suzuki, maybe Bill McKibben, maybe, mm. and now I'm out of people. Like, George Manbiot, perhaps, but again, he's probably more known as a journalist than an environmentalist. I, I think that depends on what side of the aisle are on. I think if you're if you're sort of enviro sympathetic, yeah, you consider him a journalist. And if you're in any way right of center, then you're an extreme. He's an extreme environmentalist. Yeah, that's fair. 
But yeah, like I'm not. I, well, I don't think it's fair, but it's accurate. Oh, no, accurate. <laughs> fair point. Not a fair. No, I don't, I don't think. <laughs> yes, I don't actually think George Bernard is an extreme environmentalist. Um, I'm sorry, George. I know you're listening. I apologize. Uh, but really, I don't. I don't actually think there are that many. I think. I think environmental icons intentionally don't. I think they want to put the face of climate change in the face of other issues first. Mm-hmm. That's who they are. So you have big name groups like Greenpeace and and Environmental Defense Fund. Names that people recognize, but the people behind the names don't do, don't exist. I, I want to I wanna draw a parallel, and it's something I was thinking about last night on my bike ride home from a, from a really neat meeting of, of meeting of cool people, and so my, my creativity was bouncing around a lot. Uh, and what I was thinking about was the idea of the Captain Planet. We all, oh, yeah. anyone of our age range at all <laughs> knows who Captain Planet is. And but I think a lot of the time that like environmentalists in general or the environmental movement in stair quotes as we've defined our terms we should stick to them. Yeah. Uh, the environmental movement sort of like forgets what the actual moral of that story was. Um, and the moral of the story was not was was at least as I took it. The story, in case anyone's not familiar, or as a refresher, and, um, right? There's four or five kids. I think five kids. Five kids. Because one of them is Hart, and no right. one wants to be that one. Well, the cute little yeah, cute little. <laughs> Asian boy or something like that. Uh, he was sort of like nondescript, yeah. short Asian kid, yeah. something like that. Uh, anyway, so but the point of it was though was that <coughs> as the as each show went through, I was a huge fan of the show. But um, what basically what happened was that one or two of them or something <coughs> like that would get into a situation that they could solve. Right. So mm. uh, there's a flood. Well, use heat to dry stuff. Uh, there's a fire. Well, then the water person puts out the fire. <coughs> But then, as soon as there was sort of more than one factor at play, like water that was on fire, <laughs> oil slick maybe, I don't know, they had to call Captain Planet. And what the, I think the moral of the story was there was that if there's a single issue with a single solution, go ahead. But in real life, there's never a single situation with a single solution. It's hundreds of interacted, connected situations with constantly moving variables and there are hundreds of potential solutions and we don't know which one's the right one, right? So life's not that easy. And so what the moral of Captain Planet was, you sometimes need someone who can sort of fly above the battlefield, literally or metaphorically speaking, and go, I need water here. Like, well, that's what he used to do, right? He didn't have extra powers. He just combined their powers and used them strategically, right? So he'd be like, aha, so there's flaming huts and then a flood over here. So I'll redirect the flood and then I'll push that and then the flame thing and then the heart guy will go pick up some whatever and then whatever, right? But it's like he was sort of the general of the battlefield. What he brought was strategic battlefield uh, analysis, right? Right. Uh, Essentially is what he was doing. Um, And I think that's what we're really missing is there's no... Nobody's flying above the battlefield. I mean, I think that's essentially what we're trying to do, but we're doing it not because we're amazing at it. It's right. because nobody else is doing it, right. which is that there's sort of hundreds of little units running around, mm. and they're all fighting their own fights, but there's no sort of like, okay, well, this is more important than that, just like straight up. I'm right. sorry, guys, you care about this one, but this one is just demonstrably worse, mm-hmm. um, and we need all of you over here, and then once that is solved, that will make this even easier to solve. Mm. But it's... And it's kind of like we're we're kind of like a a bunch of a bunch of uh, Captain Planet kids running around with no Captain Planet, <laughs> and and it's just it's anarchy, and you right. can't get anything done. And it and it's just like man, I was sort of saw it the other day, and I was just like man, we really need some sort of Captain Planet hero, <laughs> but you can't have it because nobody wants nobody wants to let anyone else do that. Yeah, uh, but it's so insanely necessary. Yeah. And I mean, I I think people maybe don't understand why I use military terminology so mm-hmm. much. 
uh, in a lot of what I'm saying. Part of it's because I play video games, but the other reason is because, like, it is a battle, yeah. right? I mean, it's just it's not a guns and bullets battle yet, um, but it is a battle, and there are people with vying interests, and they're competing over resources, and they're viewing it as a battle, right? They have you know the corporate leads and and global partners and strategic partnerships and all this money does all this strategizing and and it feels like the other side is just like the villagers with pitchforks yeah and <laughs> you get like they're winning for a reason and part of it's because they have tons of money but it's also because they're better organized and they pick their targets and they strategically go shoot this guy in the kneecap then take this tower yeah. then and they do that and there's nobody doing that on the other side i think i think but you i think you bring up actually a really interesting point which uh, which sort of ties into the sort of theme of the episode, if I can get guess back to the theme of the episode. How do we win? How do we move forward? How do we have successes? And then on top of that, is this sort of personification the way to do it? Um, and what I'd really like to get into, actually, which I think ties out from your point very well, especially of the idea behind this battle analogy, is beyond just not having the sort of general that the environmentalists don't have, I don't know if we ever can have that. I think we're at best... the I think... Really, if, if, if we're villagers with pitchforks, at least we're armed. Um, like, at least we've figured out something's going on, and we've got, and we've got our pitchforks, rather than just sort of the village that's just still living around while the enemy is occupied. You know, I think there's, I think there's a value in that alone. But I think really what we have to do, and I think where the personification comes in, is the idea that we're fighting on their battlefield. Because we're fighting on their battlefield, they're winning. That's the that's the biggest thing I think is that you need to take us. We need to move from their battlefield onto ours, and there are advantages that the environmental movement has that the business community does not have, and we need to use those to win. And I think the biggest thing is we have the ability to sort of fully lay out our belief system, fully say explain every one of our actions back to back to the very root of it, fully show exactly who we are as human beings. And what our goals are, and come out still looking good. And I think we have to use that to our advantage, because if we're continually playing the game of like NGOs are not as good at being businesses as businesses, they're obvious. They're, they're not. not. They're not. <laughs> um, and so to continue to play on the sort of the act as if we are a business without really being that sort of, you sort of see this a lot in in NGOs where you put on a face of of um, of seriousness to the outside world when really you're just four people inside a small building you know just trying to get all working out you've all this very nice copy that you wrote you've all this sort of nice even nice website blah 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 but really there's only a couple of you and you're really fighting hard for this sort of thing and what people i think what we for, forget to think about is you're way less likely to support monolithic organization that's big and hard to identify with than four people who really want to do something good and I think the environmental movement has to realize that being for people who really want something good is a is is a power in of itself that we're not using enough or even at all. Obviously, some of the bigger organizations would have a harder time doing that. Like you know, EDF. I don't actually know how many people it employs, but I'm sure it's more than seven. EDF members. If you one of the seven, if you listen to this, and there's mo only seven of you, then please let me know. I'm gonna guess there's more than that of you though. And I think I think we have to start using sort of our own values like so our own ability of humans and humanity that really drives us to do what we do as our weapon in of itself and i think it's what's interesting is sort of you often see environmental organizations do a campaign that sort of pushes this it's a personal issue let's like, like you know you get a message like hi stefan 
this is a really important issue. We'd love you to come do this. But still, it's, it, it feels corporate. Mm-hmm. And I think environmental movements really should give up on that. I think we shouldn't, we should stop trying to pretend we're corporations because we're not. I, I, I'm going to let you continue because I had a long tirade and, and I want you to keep going. <laughs> I just wanted to quickly insert the comment that I was preparing to disagree with you. Mm. Uh, and now that you've <laughs> clarified what you're getting at, mm. I reversed again and agree with you. Right. But I just wanted to point out that I briefly did <coughs> why, okay. and then we'll go back to what you were saying, mm. which was that I actually have the complete, what I was going to say was that I have the complete opposite angle in the sense that I think there's too much hugs and flowers and stuff and mm. that people need to get more serious. And and I think, well, in effect, the reason why I was going to disagree is that we were talking about different things. Right. What I was talking about was a lack of overall strategic planning mm. battlefield analysis right. in a super macro sense yeah what you were talking about is in the micro sense about imitating business to yeah. try and borrow their legitimacy yeah and on that i will completely a thousand percent agree mm. i think that it is a massive detriment to the environmental movement to try and emulate the worst parts of the quote-unquote enemy yeah uh i think that's a thousand percent true so to go ahead i just wanted to voice my yeah. concern in that agreement right yeah <laughs> um no that's that's totally fair i think what we just want to bring it back to the idea of this sort of personalization of the climate movement and whether or not we need some more heroes quote unquote. it's interesting to see when someone does sort of emerge people flock we sort of have touched on the value of green heroes, or the necessary of green, necessity of green heroes. Mm. I mean, a sort of sense that you mentioned uh, Captain Planet, and the need for a general of the battlefield kind of thing. Mm. And then sort of, I, I, I had brought back the value of finding someone who you sort of identify with, and sort of how that works. Mm-hmm. Recently come to light of a new study that actually sort of brings the value in the requirement of having these well-known environmentalists even more to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and is even more important, which is actually a friend of mine alerted me to this report or or as, as ongoing study. It's a political scientist. What he looks at is why do groups of people vote the way they do, and how that sort of all phases phases out and phases into itself. And basically, he thinks that people follow elites. People first will identify more strongly with a specific sort of general idea than they will a specific specific issues. For example, there's a strong correlation between feeling positive about liberalism and feeling positive about women's rights, our women's issues. So general ideas seem to have a stronger impact on how people feel. And where people get these ideas from are largely from elites. By elites, I don't mean the sort of like, you know, the bigwigs who smoke cigars and look like Mr. Money. You mean, you mean our masters? Our masters, yeah, exactly. Our global dominating masters, you know, Rex Tillerson, you know. the. Uh... I was going Illuminati. Oh, actually. Illuminati, okay. Yeah. Well, Rex Tillerson could be Illuminati. That could be. All right. Um, Maybe downgrading, but... Yeah, that's true. Well, the Illuminati, you know, I feel like... It's hard to get, find good help these days. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Illuminati don't get any knights anymore. They have to go for Rex Harrison. But by elites, what I mean, actually, is the subset of people who sort of you see, understand, is leading the movement you sort of generally feel you're a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and interestingly, that sort of kind of carries up into politics, is that if you sort of see yourself an environmentalist, and an environmentalist supports some political leader, as an environmental movement gets stronger and stronger or as any movement gets stronger and stronger, the political leaders who sort of champion that cause become who the movement sees as knowing the most or listens the most to on a, on specific opinions. Mm. Uh, which is funny, because I've made fun of Justin Trudeau's statement on the radio show last week. We did have a bit of fun on the radio show last yeah. week at Justin Trudeau's expense. Yeah. In case um, you missed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Check that out, too. But uh, I made fun of him because he had said that he is seen as having environmental background, and so maybe you should care. Uh, so, may- so maybe people would change their minds about Keystone because he supports Keystone. 
I bet you there's three people who did though. Yes, I think I think this is I think this is a and I hate poor all three of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you change your mind at Keystone because Justin Trudeau told you to, I don't understand your life. This uh, this very uh, and I, this will be an extremely brief segue. Yeah. But this is this was something that I brought up uh, during my. Uh, Power Shift uh, workshop presentation, which is available on the YouTube channel, should anyone like to watch it. You mean uh, Beyond Green? This uh, Beyond Green. Where was I going? It's still available on YouTube, though. Mm. Um, and, and the slightly misnamed How to Read the News, which was more, in fact, How to Listen to the News. Uh, but one of the things I brought up was uh, there's two things I like to say are the most undervalued but critically necessary tools for any environmentalist. And I've mentioned them even, on I think, on this podcast before. Here goes. One, two. Basic economic understanding. Mm. First year economics... Take a course, read a book, don't care what it is, understand it. If you don't speak the language of people you're trying to convince, you'll never convince them. It's like trying to talk to someone in English who only speaks Chinese. Point one. Point two is what I was getting at, which is relevant here, though, uh, which is the uh, logical fallacies. Hmm. The whole idea of argument from authority. Arguments from authority can be useful, but only if the person is actually an authority. <laughs> so, for instance, we would look to listen to Dr. James Hansen rather than uh, someone from the Canadian government on issues of climate change because he's an expert on that. However, it doesn't mean you can use uh, Dr. James Hansen as a, a stockbroker yeah. or, or get investment advice from him. He may be correct, he may not, but simply the fact that he's a celebrity and very smart doesn't make him right on that issue. Mm. And I think that's where that's uh, one of the things where all the times when we're talking about these things about people follow tend to follow their leaders and all those sorts of things, it's, be, it's because people are not applying a basic understanding of logical fallacies and actually applying them. That's the thing is I bet most of those people understand these concepts and, and, and it's not that I'm not guilty of it as well. Everybody is. That's the point is that everybody makes these sort of shorthand abbreviations for actually looking into stuff because there's just too much damn stuff to know about. Uh, I just urge people to be a little bit more careful about who they use as, uh, as resources. And I think generally probably people who are listening to this podcast are not. Yeah. super guilty of it clearly you're doing this because you're you're looking to expand your knowledge and you're you're probably not uh, in a position where you've already come to absolute decisions about uh, a, a range of things that we're talking about here but it's, to, it's something to be on guard about and and to always and to listen to in other people's arguments about is just a way to not to argue in the sense of you get to win uh but you're able to uh, by understanding some basic logical fallacies you can you can more easily identify the specific area where you're at least having a difference of opinion with someone if not identifying a mistake that they've made to actually move a conversation forward. And it's, it's how you avoid uh, getting into mires of, oh, yeah, well, your guy's a communist or, you know, whatever and all that nonsense. It's a different logical fallacy. Anyway, so that's my PSA for, for economics and logical fallacies. But they, they do come up all the time. Very handy tools. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's funny about that, of course, is, is apparently how effective having someone do spio that kind of stuff is in changing public opinion or at least affecting public opinion. What's interesting, actually, I find, is that whether or not we should be listening to authority figures, we obviously do in many, many ways. And I think what is interesting... Well, and I think, sorry, just, yeah, to be, sure. just to be clear, you should be more clear about what you mean by authority figures. Good point. Whether or not we listen to people who are sort of the high-profile... Celebrities. Celebrities. Celebrities is a good word for it. Celebrities. Whether or not we should listen to them is, is a moot point, given that we do to some extent. And I think that's... I think one of the values, one of the problems with the environmental movement, which we sort of, which gets us back to the sort of environmental heroes thing, is that the other side often has these big name people to come out. You know, they have the well known economists. Economists. They have the 
They have the pundits to come out, like Bill O'Reilly. Everyone listens to, like, Bill O'Reilly is surprisingly one of the more trusted men in America. To be clear, trusted and watched and listened to by people over the age of 65. Yes, fair enough. But he remains, he, that's enough there's of a, the population to be scary. There's a lot of people over the age of 65, exactly. But it is, like, in, in case anyone wants to check, I'm not just making fun of him. Right. His average, the average age of Bill O'Reilly's audience is somewhere in the six, late 60s. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right, then. Man, he's got an old audience. Yeah. The yeah, um <laughs> but what he's really got like but what but because they have that kind of star power and the environmentalists it seems like they sort of just choose whichever new environmentalist comes along. Like there's never there's not one environmentalist who's like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna be on the news a bunch. Like I'm just gonna be the guy who whenever they have to call they have to. I'll come out and I'll talk to them about whatever bullshit they want to talk about. Have I mentioned to you that I want to be that guy? No, you have not. I want to be that guy. All right. Well, <laughs> if anyone wants, if anyone wants to start Darren on his career of walking out and arguing with people about whether or not climate change exists or what the right path to is, Darren is available. I well, I, I sometimes say I used to say that I wanted to be, uh, you know, kind of like not Bill O'Reilly, but uh, who's the uh, who's the the fatter, more pill-addicted one? Oh wow. Uh, that he's got some... Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh. That I basically wanted to be the Rush Limbaugh for the left, and then uh-huh. people give me a, a funny face, and then I say, no, 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 in the sense that I'm aggressive and assertive, not in the case that I'm a liar. <laughs> uh, Rush Limbaugh's insane. Well, he is insane. But I, no, but I mean... But I, I do mean that, because what I mean is that in the sense that he is a coalesce point for... Uh, a particular ideology, and as you're identifying, there is value to that. Yeah. And the, the point is, uh, I think the point to draw is that it's an unfortunate factor of human nature. By learning mm-hmm. about these studies, we're not going to correct this behavior. Right. We simply need to, need to learn to apply it correctly. Mm-hmm. And so if we're in a situation where people are going to follow what a leader does more likely than based on if they have good information, mm-hmm. then I'm interested in solutions, not doing it the way that suits my conscience, to be perfectly frank. Right. Uh, we're at a point where we don't have time to play games. We don't have time to sort of do ethical quibbles uh, about certain things. And, you know, again, that, I'm not talking about extreme things here, but I'm, I'm not talking about being deceptive. I'm saying I don't care if people check my facts or if I ever make a mistake and they accept something I've said because I've said it by accident. Mm. The point is, as long as we get them on board and they're doing what they need to be doing, I don't care how we get them there. Mm. That's the, that's more the point. All right. That's that's. To be honest, that's something the left never does. Uh, well, that's not true. I shouldn't say that. The left, there are some, there are some groups that the left where they do that. They don't do it nearly as successfully. No, that's a better point. Yes, the the sides that sort of stretch the truth often do it in weird, small ways, and it's just confusing and not very effective. Rather than Bill O'Reilly's way, which is just sort of well, Bill O'Reilly's I think at least mildly better than Rush Limbaugh. So we'll go with Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh's way. Bill O'Reilly is at least sane. I think when he says something that's not true, he knows he's full of shit. Yeah, that could be true. Uh, that's, I can't, obviously, that's, you know, complete opinion, but yeah. that, uh, as someone that does spend an unfortunate amount of time mm-hmm. listening to both Bill O'Reilly and Rush Limbaugh, mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh is just an arrogant prick who lies, and he has no problem lying for his cause. Uh, I think, but I think largely he literally, he just is out of touch and kind of insane. Mm. Whereas I think I, Bill O'Reilly, I have more respect in the same way that I would respect Lex Luthor. Right. He knows what he's, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how he's doing it. Like that famous interview anyone may have seen with the, the, the tides go in, tides go out. You can't explain yeah. it with the guy from the American Atheist Association. People play that clip all the time or refer to that clip all the time saying Bill O'Reilly's stupid. I don't buy it for a second. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was talking to his audience, not speaking from what he believes. And in fact, there's been, uh, just as a commentary before we get off this, because this this is very, very relevant to what we're talking about, uh, is the idea that 
there have been a number of people, but a number of liberals who have been on to Fox News to be on the Bill O'Reilly show and others who will tell you, uh, and there are a number of interviews you can check. If I can, if I can find them all, even I'll give them to Stefan to post with this episode. Uh, but of people who have been backstage and like right before they go on air, he's incredibly congenial, very, very well spoken. And the second you get on air, the camera comes on, his tone changes, the types of things that he changes, the types of words that he's using are changes. And there's that weird glint in his eye when he's talking. Have you ever noticed that? That's yeah. the face he makes when he knows he's lying. Hmm. It's really creepy, but if you've talked, like, there are a number of people who've done interviews about being interviewed by Fox News who will all tell you that Bill O'Reilly's entire show is an act. Mm. It's all theater, right? This is, there's the same claims about Glenn Beck, actually. Glenn uh, Beck is actually a lunatic. Yeah, I think he's actually insane. It's, it's theater, it's theater, theater of the observed done yeah. by a lunatic, <laughs> but Bill O'Reilly's show is calculated misinformation, mm. in my opinion. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that's... And there really isn't too much of it. You know, they always say MSNBC is a little bit like that, but it's much more of a... I find it interesting whether or not there could be a complete... I guess Bill Maher could... If Bill Maher decided to really push a more a more directly liberal, directly sort of pro-Democrat uh, angle, rather than sort of picking and choosing the issues he feels like talking about, he could sort of be a very a similar to O'Reilly. Although I think O'Reilly might be better at it. He is, he is a, you know, in the same way that you could respect uh, Hitler for his military tacticians, you yeah. can, you know, you can definitely respect Bill O'Reilly yeah. for uh, being professionally full of shit. <laughs> it's, well, perhaps, perhaps the, perhaps In case the, you missed uh, it, yes, I just called Bill O'Reilly compared to Hitler. <laughs> Man, we're on the internet. Everyone has to be compared to Hitler sometime. That's true. It's, I'll it's, compare you to Hitler eventually. I'm, sh- I'll find a way to get there. I'll find a way to get there. <laughs> Uh, but more importantly, like the whole, without getting into yeah. our tangent, sort of what the point here was to talk about um, influential people in the media, and I think, generally speaking, the you know the, are the most famous, uh, the most famous sort of outspoken and, and trusted source of liberalism, at least in the U.S. media, is, is uh, John Stewart. Yeah, which I think is hilarious for ten thousand reasons. One being that our sort of like you know, media night for, for the values of progressives and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Is a comedian just yeah. makes me happy in 19,000 <laughs> different ways. It's, it's one of those stupid things where it emotionally makes me feel like we're right. Yeah. And it's part of the thing that I wanted, that I wanted to bring up with that was that I want to like Jon Stewart. Mm-hmm. I want Jon Stewart to be liked because I like him. I feel like I know him in the sense of someone that you watch all the time. I've, you know, we've spent a lot of time together in the sense that everyone has. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what it, you know, what it is, oh, yeah. where it's like I, I even myself can, I, I can be aware of the fact that I've accepted without thought many, many things that Jon Stewart has said yeah. uh, and never checked them. Yeah. And the, but the, the basis of the point that I think is understand, that important to understand and why I've sort of shifted my emphasis on education, but it's not just education. It's not just about putting out information. You have to be a salesperson. Yeah. Um, because everybody does that. You can't not do that. That's how the brain functions. There are simply too many things for us to be consciously aware of every day. And, it's you know, technology and everything has sped us up to the point that we're not there yet. And that's what we're experiencing. We're experiencing that lag between how our brain was designed to operate and the situation we now find ourselves. Mm. Uh, and so we just sort of have to accept that this is part of the reality of living in 2013 with 6.7 or 7.1 billion people on the planet or whatever it is at this point. Uh, and that we have to tactile, uh, do design tactics around that data point. Uh, I don't know how to do that, and and doing that makes me feel really sticky inside because it's it's it 
reeks of dishonesty, mm-hmm. but it's A, simply how the world operates today, B, is somewhat evolutionarily required at this point, simply just due to the circumstances, and C, the other side's doing it, and they're winning with it, and so if we don't fight fire with fire, we're going to lose, Yeah, uh, I think is a, is a few points. Now, how do you do that? I think that's that's where I want to hand it back to you. How do you use this in a, in a non-dishonest way? Hmm. I think simply be correct all right. the time. I, I, I think there's a couple of things. First, I want to just jump back to the John Stewart thing. That I think the real value of that kind of part of the value of having these leaders is that you, you're rooting for them. Yeah. You, like that was the word I said. I just want to say the word you're rooting for them. That's what you're really doing. On the terms of how we use this well and how we sort of use this in a way that's not dishonest to some extent, I think the reason why John Stewart and Stephen Colbert have more power over the left and are generally more, even if they get less viewers, like, per day, are have a stronger, like, they had a rally where a million people showed up. Well, it's because their viewers, you know, regardless of the number of them, are, like, 21. <laughs> and they do stuff, right? Bill O'Reilly's right. audience, as I said, is, 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 you can check the exact number, but it's, I'm not far off to say that the average age is something like 67. Right. Yeah, but I mean, just, I, just mean, I just mean beyond that. I mean, in the left, Jon Stewart and Colbert have more power. Well, uh, one more power than they than they are w- comfortable with. I think. I would, yeah, I agree. I think I, neither of they they want. That's why whenever you, I don't know about John, Colbert. I think Jon Stewart's up yes, to do with that. That's true. I think kinda Colbert kind of likes it. Kinda likes it I, think. <laughs> I think if Colbert could have got a sister to be senator, he would have been pretty stoked about that. Mm. Unfortunately, she ran in South Carolina. What kind of Democrat wins in South Carolina? There's still a number of Republicans who think that he's he's a conservative. I know, yeah, that's 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 the best. I absolutely love that. But I think I think the reason why they have so much power is I think they've figured out how to do the left right. Whereas someone like what's I find interesting is there are a subset of people who love Colbert and John Stewart and agree with general left ideals and do not like MSNBC. Why I think John Stewart and Colbert are effective is that they give their commentary. But because it's a joke, because it's in the setting of this kind of humorous thing, what they're really doing is saying, like, here are a bunch of things we're pointing out. Decide for yourself. They push you a little bit, but they don't actually tell you. They're not lying to you ever. Well, except when they're obviously lying to you, but then that's a joke and that's the point. Um, so, I, and whereas I think when you're getting to slightly biased facts, it sort of feels like you're trying to, someone's trying to deceive you. Mm. Whereas if you're just getting sort of commentary then it's a very different, I feel very differently about the two ways that's going. So may, like maybe the environmental movement does actually need a Rush Limbaugh who will just fully lie to get everyone on our side. Mm. But I think partially because I think the left actually is more hurt by lying than the right. And I don't, I, 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 this is, that, that could be completely wrong. I, and I, if, and I'm if, not going to disagree with that, actually. I don't actually, like, if someone else has a good example of, of me being wrong... Of course, we would say that. Exactly, exactly. I'm sure there's some... <laughs> if any single right-wing person listens to this this podcast, which I cannot imagine you do, and if you do, comment, call me an asshole for saying you don't. Let me know if you actually think... Let me th- well, I, don't I don't want know. to be biased, but all conservatives are dumb. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't think conservatives are dumb. I think that... Nor do I. No, exactly. <laughs> but I, I don't think they're listening to this radio show, this podcast. That's what I don't think. What I want to know is if... I don't know whether or not... Why I think that conservatives are less hurt by lying than than left wing is actually because I'm biased, or if it's because what actually is true. So if anyone has any other you know politics, uh, if someone did a social science study on this, I'd love to know that too. I feel like there's examples out there. Uh, maybe it's just that left wing people are just worse at government, like are worse at running governments. So maybe that's the problem. But it just seems to me like that conservatives can get away with lying more. 
I have an, it's interesting. I, uh, because we're doing this show without comments, I'm very happy to, uh, completely disagree with you as to your theory as to why. Okay. Um, the reason why I think Jon Stewart is more effective than Rachel Maddow mm. on a straight one-to-one comparison is that, uh, a lot of their, okay, I need to preface it with one data point, which is that there was actually some study that came out recently talking about, um, the Benghazi incident mm. uh, in the U.S. and a few other incidents. And what it showed was that even on the quote-unquote liberal stations, MSNBC, yada, 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 that they, they polled the public at large what they thought about a number of issues, Benghazi being one of them, and then they polled the reporting, mm. uh, what the overall tone was pro or against you know, on a number of different mm. issues. All of the news media, all of it, was 15, 20, 25, 30 points to the right of mm. the American public. This is a establishment media mm. there is no left-wing conspiracy in the media in the u.s it's <laughs> it's a demonstrable lie and so the reason why i think john stewart is more effective than than for instance rachel mm. maddow was that uh, most of the time john stewart's when he's saying super progressive stuff he says it as a smile right. him and his audience knows he isn't joking his right. the point is he's, he isn't joking mm. but he has to phrase it as a joke to get away with saying it mm. or else the regular media through and I like when when Bill O'Reilly had him on. I don't know if anyone saw that famous interview with yeah. Bill O'Reilly interviewing John Stewart. Aside, have you seen the debate they had? Uh, I think this was the thing. But what he was getting at him was what he was saying. What Bill O'Reilly said, which I actually think was a fair point, mm-hmm. which was that the whole point of Bill O'Reilly having him on the show was to basically force him to admit that mm-hmm. he was just trying to put out liberal information right. and not. And in John Stewart's reply was, "I'm a comedian. Mm-hmm. I actually agree with Bill on that point." Bullshit, you're just a comedian. <laughs> you know you're not. Bill knows you're not. I know more. We're, we all know you're not just a comedian. You're a comedian. You're a comedy show. You're on Comedy ne- Network. But that is not how you function in society. You do it because you're the only person with a big microphone who's willing to stand up for the values of other people that, ag- that agree with that position. There is nobody saying stuff all the way to the far left of all these issues. There is people loudly with big microphones saying it on the right. And so the people we, the reason why everyone sort of latched onto John Stewart is he's only, the only person with a big enough la- macrofo- macro- microphone, a big <laughs> enough microphone, a uh, big enough loudspeaker system, and the courage to say it, and the values to want to say it, something that actually reflects a more average view in the U.S. public hmm. based on data. Nobody thinks that the that the the U.S. is super 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 liberal, but the people actually are. It's just that the super right-wing people actually have those megaphones and actually do make a lot of noise, even though there's only a few of them, and the left doesn't. They either don't have the courage or don't have the platforms, but it's largely because the media itself is not in the middle as they pretend to be. They're way to the right, way, way, way to the right of where the actual American public is. And that's why I think you see that discrepancy is because even Maddow can't go far enough to the left as to what actually reflect a more average view in the U.S. and keep her job. And it's because they don't hire and fire people based on their reflections, based on actual public opinion. Right. They do it based on what the industry accepted uh, bow to power uh, corporate media says they want the message to be. And that means uh, the Junk Uger's uh, brief stint on the, the mainstream news was ended because he wouldn't toe that line. They thought he was too extreme when, in fact, they now have the largest world's largest online news show. It's it, that's why it's, there's a just there people don't ever think about the discrepancy between the, what the media is saying and what actual public opinion is. They assume that those two things are at least attempted to be made similar. It's not true. 
and it isn't. And I think that's why you see that difference. Anyway, sorry, that was longer than I intended yes. it to be, but I, I think that's a critical point for people right. to understand is that people just sort of assume, okay, well, this paper is a left paper, this paper is a right paper, and if I draw the middle that I was probably... No, that's bullshit. It's farther to the left than drawing... <laughs> draw it in half and then go three steps to the left. Mm. And that's probably where the average is. Because the corporate media is always going to be further to the right in public opinion. So whatever they report, just assume it's more left <laughs> than that. It's almost always going to be true. I think there's, a, there's definitely value in that point. The, the number one bias, I think, or the number one problem with mainstream media, which everyone coming up with a novel here, but is that they need, and they need and want controversy to an extent where they will allow their own narratives to be destroyed because they want to talk about something. I still blame the Toronto Star for letting Rob Ford be our mayor, uh, which is a very weird opinion to have, given how, the, uh, how people understand Rob Ford and the Toronto Star. Please explain the Toronto Star committed what I think was the most annoying thing I've ever seen a newspaper do in their election coverage, which was they completely bought into the Rob Ford mantra that the city was crazy in debt and that we were we were in financial ruin and that somehow we were running a deficit even though that's literally illegal. Like, the Toronto government cannot run a deficit. It's n We're not allowed. We're not the only city that has that on the book side. Yeah. That's fairly common practice. Yeah. And yet the Toronto Star 100% bought into that line of thinking. And that made it almost impossible for, well, definitely impossible for Pantalone to win, because Pantalone is basically running on, on a less charismatic Miller, basically, without the, without the name recognition. Mm -hmm. And then Smitherman's campaign was, was only mediocre, but because they allowed the idea that, like, they let it be dominated by, we need to go into City Hall and, and, and make it smaller. We need to, like, they, and this was the star. This was what we, we, people were presuming would at least provide a centrist opinion. They ended up endorsing Smitherman, so that's, the, so they ended up, but because enough of the reports, because so many of the reports centered around the idea, allowed the Ford campaign to control the messaging of the entire mayoral race. I think that gave Rob Ford the the election. Well, and I I, I think that's a that's an interesting thing. What I, the only thing I wanted to add to that would be that uh, that is another example of and and, and I wasn't even aware of this case because honestly I just I I couldn't give a shit less <laughs> the mayoral election until it almost seemed like Ford was about to win and then I started caring. <laughs> uh, but I just I just couldn't I couldn't be bothered at the time. Uh, but was that that was it the narrative that you're seeing there is that there's an assumption that in the Toronto if you're not from Toronto maybe this won't make sense but the Star is considered to be the quote unquote most liberal newspaper and as evidence out of by, the four yeah. out of the four in the city of Toronto yeah. exclusively is the sort of quote unquote liberal newspaper, uh, but that isn't the case. The bottom line for any newspaper is to sell newspapers and that that is something that is basically like the media is sort of not fulfilling its its purpose anymore. And I think people, a lot of people are still following that model of, oh, this is a liberal newspaper. They represent my point of view. And therefore, as long as I sort of agree with their general worldview, it, I think the way that it goes is that, okay, if there's people like me at this newspaper and those people have done research and these are the conclusions that they've come to, then I can skip the step of doing the research and simply accept what they've said. And I think, if I can jump in very quickly, that is exactly the appeal of celebrities and elites. Uh -huh. uh, put scare quotes on elites there. Uh, but you can't see my hands, so why'd I do that? But I think that's exactly what people are looking for when, when they follow that sort of general idea of elites, is that I want to know someone I can trust to have done the research about the thing I care about so I can move on. Exactly. No, and I think, and I think what what we sort of were skating around here mm -hmm. for about an hour about was just the 
idea that it's 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 regrettable, but it's unavoidable that this is going to be a public phenomenon. There are just study after study after study after study that this is just how we operate in these times at this moment, whatever, but this is how the game works. And, and so the point that it, we need to make is that A, was that if we cannot avoid this phenomenon, if this is simply an intrinsic part of human nature, or at least in this point in history, is, is simply a part of human nature and can't be avoided, that we simply have to A, have a better metric for finding our elites. We mm -hmm. need a better way of vetting people before we stop thinking about what they're saying. Mm -hmm. A. But B, most importantly, is whatever we decide to do with that, the media is no longer on that list. Mm. They used to be. They are not currently. Mm. And it's, it's purely everything is about profit now, and, and those profits could be incentivized, but whatever. The Toronto Star has made a shitload of money off Rob Ford. Yeah. An ungodly <laughs> amount of money off Rob Ford. They probably doubled their annual profits yeah. this year alone. I'm actually going to be very interested to follow um, the Star over the next year. But because they like un just ungodly amounts of money mm. from this, and that is sort of what to be done. So I mean, a we we all need to think as a community about how we vet our heroes, uh, our our elites, if you will, better. But that the first place to start is that is just take the entire concept that any newspaper represents you and just forget it, mm. just completely ignore it. It's it's it demonstrably false at this point. Right. But I think <laughs> where this comes from, and just in conclusion about that, before we go to our final appeal here. Uh, is that this is very much coming from the mindset that that is that I think people our age, Stefan, you and I, mm -hmm. uh, people our age, will very much identify with, which is that our parents and our especially our parents' parents, but very much our parents, uh, were still sort of the tail end of the generation where your family is liberal, mm. in the sense that we vote for the liberals, right, not yeah. that we hold liberal values, but this is a liberal family or this is a conservative family or this is a whatever, mm -hmm. and that 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 was all you needed. This is what our family does. You're sticking, you're going against the family. You're hurting your own family members if you don't vote for the same people that we vote for. Yeah. And that that was simply a, an older generation's version of that. And I think that as a culture, we're getting out of that. But we, and, and young people have started to break away from that in the political sense. And I think they're starting to break away from that in the media sense. I think there's a little bit of a lag on the distrust for media behind the distrust for politics, though. Uh, and I think they're equally valid. But that's very much where it comes from. It's not like we just invented this. This has sort of been the way things are for quite some time. And we need to think about a better way to do it. Uh, however, we're going to ask our, our lovely audience yeah. for um, input, please. Yeah. I, first of all, I, I think one last thought I want to make is that I want to throw myself in with the group of people, of, with humanity in itself, and that I very much do this exact type of thing for many, many issues. I understand. I do not have enough time to know everything about everything. And so for a lot of the issues beyond the environment, basically, and a couple other small side issues, this is what I do. I find, I, I, I pick one or two people who I generally, th do generally seem right from what they've said, and then I take their word for it. Because you just do not have enough time to be that knowledgeable about everything. Mm -hmm. uh, a good friend of mine once said, I want, I've mentioned this before, but was once asked, how, like, how should I know about economics and which ec economist should I trust? And his basic suggestion was, economics is too complicated and too ridiculous at least macroeconomics, for you to really won't be able to like look into every single issue and find out. So basically, pick an economist that you agree with on things you know about and just presume they're right for everything else. And I think 
Which works if you're all operating within economics. The problem is people find a climate scientist they trust, or maybe mm. that's a bad example, yeah. but no, fine, we'll pick on yeah. liberals for once. So yeah. They pick a climate scientist they like, and then they start taking their advice on other political issues that have nothing to do with it. Exactly. Or there's those lists, I mean, you don't see it very often anymore, but there are all those lists of, look at all these doctors that think that climate change is a conspiracy. Well, yeah. who gives a shit? They're yeah. fucking surgeons, man. Yeah. I'm not getting a heart transplant. This is climate. Yeah. But that's that's where that goes wrong. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think... So what I think, but what's interesting, I think, is if you can't find, uh, if environmental, the per, the value of environmental heroes uh, is that it would provide, if there were enough of them, or if there was someone who was really good at it, it would provide uh, the people who don't really know about the environment but want to care, sort of how I understand a lot of social issues uh, that aren't my niche, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I have some friends who are really into development, uh, and development stuff. And I basically just go to them whenever I don't understand something and be like, all right, so here's a thing that's happening. How should I feel about this? And the environment does feel doesn't really have someone who is a super strong voice in that in that nature. And I think it's it's a balance between there aren't enough super charismatic ones mm-hmm. and the ones that are super charismatic tend to be a bit fringe. Yeah. So there's there's no real sort of like universally acceptable environmental heroes. Yeah. I think the closest one we have in, in Canada I would say is definitely clearly and people yeah. are already saying it before I say this yeah. but uh, David Suzuki. Of course, yeah. Of course. Um, but I mean even he is, you know, it, is not fringe. sort of uni- universal he, his opinions aren't sort of universal enough that uh, that it has a lot of play outside mm. people who are dedicated environmentalists, and that's the thing. Mm. Like, we have a bunch of people who think the environment is important who don't necessarily defer to what David Suzuki says, but certainly take a big lead from what he's mm. saying. But it doesn't have, it doesn't play out to the rest of the environment, right? Mm. People people outside of the environmental community might be like, yeah, I like the nature of things, but they're not going to make opinions based on what he does. Mm. But if there's a, a say, like a, someone like Rush Limbaugh, um, like it or not, I mean, they have massive power outside of their peons, right? Yeah. Outside of people who are blindly, you know, they're yeah. zombies who are blindly going, yes, whatever, I hate, in, you know, immigrants too. But there isn't, you don't see that. You don't see people who are not environmentalists but are sort of generally liberal going, well, I should really, I need to have an opinion about this environment issue. I'm going to go look up what David Suzuki thinks. Yeah. Doesn't happen. No. He doesn't have the influence outside of his sphere mm-hmm. that people on the right do. Yeah. And, and I think that's... It's part of the part of the reason we're losing. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so tell you what, the, this is what we'll do. We'll we'll try to solve this problem for everybody. Uh, so everyone, if you listen to this, elect me your supreme leader. No, don't elect Darren your supreme leader. Poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> let 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 Darren continue doing this radio show, and instead, <laughs> um, I can't even get your vote for supreme leader. <laughs> I guess I'm totally screwed. Let's create a big list of people we should care about. Anyone, any if you have a if you have an environmental hero who you think needs deserves a shout out or someone you think should be looked into more, or talked about more, comment and we'll uh, we'll include it next week. You know what the difference between a a, a, a powerful leader and a wingnut is? What fifty friends? Mm. Touche. It's true. Oh yeah, yeah. I know. Right. You, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So like that's. I mean that's the thing. I think this is something where we can we can actually create something here together. And I'm speaking to the listeners yeah. at this point. We can create something here together where we we need to make a list of people who we we sort of have vetted as they generally know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. We we've checked for ourselves that they yeah. are have opinions that we go with. 
and then help promote those people. Right. Let's help promote that. No, David Zuki is someone you should go to yeah. and, and check for something, or so and so is something. Mm -hmm. We need to get a whole team together. Yeah. And so we would like some suggestions. Who are people in the environment that inspire you? Yeah. And, you know, we have about 50 listeners to this podcast, I think, according to some analytics like that. So you're the 50 friends. Let's figure this thing out. Yeah, so we're gonna start with we're we're gonna start with uh, one. I'm just gonna say one, which is mine, obviously Carl Sagan, and well, you should say one, and then we'll get those two off the list. And right. Then... All right. You you'll go with Carl Sagan. I will go with. Oh man, I don't even know. See, that's the thing. I'm here in my environment, and if you you ask me a question, and no one jumps to my mind, I'm a perfect example of this. Tell, so this is this is the new question. Find Stefan a hero. Find me a hero. Who should be my hero? I need to know. So comment and let me know who I'm supposed to be following, because I I don't have an answer to the question. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, we'll probably we're, soon we're going to start getting into actually specific talks that people at the, the Beyond Green gave and sort of getting to those issues specifically. Not you don't have to have been there to understand it, but we'll, we'll talk about those issues very much. Now we'll try to get some information from them personally. Uh, so if you're a green group that was there and you want us to talk about your issue, give us a shout. You're more than happy to. But we're running over time a little bit right now, so I'm going to say this is it. Enjoy the Gaslight Anthem to play us out. See you guys next week. Tell Gail if she calls That I'm famous now for all of these rock and roll songs And even if that's a lie She should have given me a try When we were kids on the field of the first day of school I would have been her fool and I would have sang out your name in those old high school halls you tell that to Gail if she calls And you can tell Jane if she writes That I'm drunk off all these stars and all these crazy Hollywood nights And that's total deceit Should have married me and tell her I spent every night of my youth on the floor, bleeding out from all these wounds. And I would have gotten her right out of that town she despised. You tell that to Janie if she writes. But boys will be boys and girls have those eyes. That'll cut you to ribbons sometimes And all you can do is just wait by the moon And bleed if it's what she said you all do
arranged you won't cancel again tonight And the waiter served my coffee with a consolation sigh You and mine, and just why It's alright No, it's hard to tell you this And it's hard to tell you this Here's looking at you, kid